0: Uh, My brother-in-law and sister served in missions overseas in in islands where there are no vineyards and there is no grape juice and there is no bread. And so when they're working with island cultures to remember what Jesus did on the cross, they'll often take a coconut and split it in two and take the meat of the coconut and take the water of the coconut and have communion. And I think that's really beautiful that we can take what we have and remember what Jesus did with us no matter what culture we come from or what we have on hand. Um, We've actually had a lot of complaints about these little doodads. (laughs) Everyone's laughing here because the kids absolutely dislike this communion style and we're doing it because we want to be extra cautious and extra safe. We don't have our table set out like we normally do and um i've heard things like what is this what is it that we're drinking what is it that we're that wafer that we're putting in our mouth and you know what this isn't the first time this has happened i heard a uh, maria savage was telling me a story about this the other day but this isn't the first time this has happened um there's another story in the bible with god's people where stanley referenced this earlier when when he felt like when he had that prophetic word when the people were leave, when God's people were leaving Egypt they were leaving a place of slavery and bondage and they've crossed through the Red Sea. God's miraculously gotten them out of Egypt, and they're now in the desert. It's been about six weeks. They're at an oasis, and they're hungry, and they're complaining, and they're frustrated, and they say, if we had only died in Egypt, at least we had pots of meat and all the food. And you, Moses, you've brought us out here to die in this desert. And they're so upset. And God says, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven on you. And 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 Moses says the next day you're going to see the glory of God in the morning, the glory of God. And the next morning bread rains down from heaven, and it doesn't look like the bread they're expecting. (laughs) They get up and they look on the ground, and there's this food. And they look at it and they say, What is it? What is it? (laughs) And for the next 40 years, God provides for them as they wander in the wilderness and he gives them exactly what they need for that time and season. No more, no less, but that's what they have. They have just what they need. What was the Israelites' response to that? Unfortunately, it was more grumbling and discontent and complaining, and maybe the reason it took them 40 years to get through that wilderness. Then there's another time in God's history with his people. Another time, in the time of Jesus, you can look in John 6 where God provides unusual bread. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Moses was not the one who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. God's bread is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the people said, sir, give us this bread always. Then Jesus says, I am the bread that gives life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Then down a little bit more in the conversation, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you must drink his blood. If you don't do this, then you won't have real life in me. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. What? (laughs) The followers of Jesus hear this and they're like, this is hard, we don't like this. Who can believe this? Who accept this? What is it that Jesus is asking us to do? Jesus knows that his followers are complaining, so he says, does this teaching bother you? Then it will also bother you to see the Son of Man going back to the place where he came from. It is not the flesh that gives a person life. It is the spirit that gives life. The words I told you are spirit, and so they give life. And we all know, as we just took communion, we know this story, right, that when we remember Jesus, when we remember his words, when we remember what he did for us, we have life. And so what is our response to that? Give it to me, Lord. I want it. So... Unfortunately, all the disciples, all of God's, Jesus' followers, they resisted that. I think about these times that we're in with the election on Tuesday, I can hear lots of trepidation. Everybody I talk to, there's so much trepidation. With COVID cases spiraling, you know, out of control, it seems. And with just the unrest and the contention that we feel in the atmosphere, we might feel like the Egypt, the Israelites saying, let's get back to normal. Let's go back to Egypt. But we don't want to go back. God is doing something right now. We might feel like Jesus' followers. We don't want to eat your flesh and drink your blood. What is this you're talking about, Jesus? And yet when we look back on both those stories, God is at work in a mighty and beautiful way. The first time he's drawing his people out of Egypt so they can come and worship him in freedom and they can rest and they can come into Sabbath instead of the labor intensive production of Egypt. He's like, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. Come out with me. And then it happens again with this new bread. Jesus comes. He's the new Passover lamb, the new manna sent from heaven. He's coming to reestablish and reconcile his kingdom of priests on the land that we would carry the presence, which is the bread everywhere we go. And yet we resist change. We resist when things are hard. God spoke that to us this morning. Sometimes we resist. But believe it or not, right now, God is providing, moving, initiating, speaking, drawing people into God's presence. And worship is responding to that. There is a divine initiative despite the chaos, despite the turmoil you might be feeling right now, there is a divine initiative reaching out to you. And worship is responding to that. Worship is responding to what God wants to do in our lives and what God is speaking. We've been talking about anchors for the soul, having our mind, our will, and emotions anchored in the hope of Christ. Worship is an anchor for you right now. Worship is abiding in God's presence and responding to God, and responding to the provision, what is it, and the conversation that God has for you right now, right in this season. We've talked about surrender, confession, and today we're going to talk about worship, and these anchors help us place ourselves in Christ they remind us to rest in what Jesus has done for us not to walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit as it says in Romans 8 4 worship happens individually and secretly when we're at home when we're alone when we're hiding if you have lots of kids like me you might be hiding out in your closet or bathroom to have a moment of worship Worship can happen, like I said, in mountaintops and gullies. You know all how much I love Dimple gully It happens intimately one-on-one, but it also happens corporately. Like the hunger that we can feel when we're together and the expectation and the anticipation, it's a holy expectancy and anticipation and appreciation for what God is doing. You can't have one without the other. Both expressions exponentially enrich the other. So I need you during the week to worship God. And I need you to come and show up every once in a while with me on a walk, at a cafe, or here to worship God together. Because when we do that, it creates an anticipation and faith to hear what God is doing, to understand what God is doing worship is an anchor when we worship we're safeguarded we're kept from being tossed and turned we remember that we have confidence and stability and a sure foundation a rock in christ and our eyes and lives can become fixed on jesus there's so much to say about worship and i'm not going to say it all there's no way because it's such a huge topic i love uh, Spiritual Disciplines by Richard Foster on worship. I love Vivian Hibbert's book on prophetic worship. Today is just a reminder. I'm not going to cover it all, but I want to focus on. Um, I'm going to focus on praise and thanksgiving here in just a bit. But I want to say that worship isn't just the act of singing on a Sunday morning. We didn't just come here to sing. We could, like I said, we can do that anywhere, right? <laughs> Like Vivian says, worship is never complete when it only goes one way, just as love is not fulfilled when it is unanswered. Our ministry before God is part one and part two is when God reveals himself, shows up and speaks or displays himself in some way. I think we experienced that this morning. We came and we ministered to the Lord and then the Lord ministered back to us and then we responded back to God. God told us to put our foundation and to be led in love on the rock and be led in love and then we sang that back. Somehow the Holy Spirit orchestrated that because they practiced that song before they knew what Stanley, God was gonna use Stanley to bring. Isn't that cool? We didn't plan that. Like Bob Sorge says, worship is an exchange. It is two-way communication when we worship we're responding to what god is doing with praise prayer thanksgiving sometimes a physical response bowing clapping shouting giving but when we wait and we listen for god to respond back to him and then we respond once again it's this beautiful relationship it's not a one-way street with god it's back and forth now maybe you're sitting here and saying does god really want to talk to me does God really talk to us collectively? Sarah, I'm not so sure, thank you. <laughs> Maybe you're having those feelings, I remember. Remember when you're a kid and you didn't get invited to a birthday party? And that's crushing. It's frustrating, you feel left out. Maybe you're, I did this, applied for graduate school one year, got rejected, or it's a long story, but didn't get accepted at any. Later I did, hallelujah. Maybe you've tried out for an interview or you've tried out for a sports team and you didn't make it or you didn't get in and it's ugh, it's awful. I'm here to tell you it's not that way with God. You're always invited to the party, you're always accepted into the program, always included on the team. The better way to describe it with Jesus is like that feeling I had when I got when I first was like, I kind of like that guy. I feel attracted to that guy named Aaron. It's like, oh, he's kind of, I like him. <laughs> and then there's this feeling of, oh, bummer. Like, what if he doesn't like me, right? And that, that first awareness that, oh, I think, I think he might like me. I, oh, I think there, there could be something here. Ah! And then your feelings, your heart, everything gets all wound up and starts, ah! You're like, oh, he likes me, he likes me. This could go somewhere, and it has. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's the way it is with Jesus. He's drawing you, and you're like, oh, could this God be something worth exploring? Could this God actually like me? Could Jesus actually want to talk to me? Yes. Yes. That's what worship is like. It's like we come here and he's gonna talk to me and I'm gonna talk to God and God's gonna talk to us. And when that happens, you can't help but smile. You can't help but have a song on your lips. You can't help but shed a few vulnerable tears if there's some intimate stuff that needs to be shared. You relax a bit and you do a little dance. (laughs) That's That's what worship is. The creator of the universe wants to relate to you. So let me get practical. How do I talk to God, Sarah? You're suggesting that I enter into this conversation with God. How do I hear God's voice? How do I experience God's presence? This is just a little reminder today. There's so much to this subject. This is just a reminder. Because God is endless and holy and amazing and indescribable. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, there are endless ways to experience God's presence. It could be as simple as reaching out to touch the hem of his garment. That quiet, that simple. And it could be a whole lot more than that. There are many ways, but we've talked about surrender. Confession. Today I want to talk about praise, thanksgiving, and listening. We surrender when we turn from our own ways and we look to Jesus. We confess our heartache. We confess our shame. We confess our fears. We confess our sin. We confess our faith. We praise God for who he is. We thank God for what he has done. We listen to hear what is on God's heart. These are all ways to enter into worship and communion with Jesus. I'm gonna read Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 is a song that King David sings in the midst of tremendous chaos. (laughs) David is running from his homeland with King Saul and he's actually running to the land of his enemies, the Philistines, and he ends up hiding out in the Philistine land, because he's not welcome at home, and now he's with his enemies, and he has to pretend to be insane and um, mentally unstable when he's with the Philistines so they don't just off with his head. So he's going back and forth, and life was madness for David. What is this? What is happening? This is, we can feel a little bit like right now that whose side is who, whose whose side am I on? What's the good, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys right now? What is this? What is happening? And in the middle of this, this is what David sings. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened, and he saved me from all my troubles. There's surrender in this passage. I'm helpless. I'm desperate. I'm looking to the Lord for help. There's confession, declaring who God is, confessing faith, confessing fears and troubles. There's praise. Let us, let us tell, I will speak his praises. Let us tell of his greatness, individual and corporate. There's thanksgiving. The Lord listened. He saved me from all my life or all my troubles. There's no shame. My face is radiant. There's listening. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. You're not going to get answers unless you're listening. Praise, thanksgiving, and listening. I'm going to speak briefly about praise and thanksgiving. Or as quickly as I can, I have a lot on my heart today, so I'm going to try and keep going fast here for you guys. But the definition of praise in Hebrews 13, 15, it says, let's go ahead and move to Hebrews 13, please, Grace, thank you so much. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, through him, therefore, let us all, at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. In this passage, it's a summary of what praise is. It happens when you're in relationship with God. It's continual and nonstop. Sometimes it's a sacrifice. I'm sure David didn't feel like singing when he was caught between the Philistines and his hostile homeland. And it's the fruit of lips. It's an outward expression. We can hear it, and it's like fruit. It grows, and it nourishes. And it's thankfulness and confession, and it, there's a preoccupation with God's name. That's what praise is. This is what happens when we praise Psalm 100. Psalm 100. We make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. We serve the Lord with gladness. We come before his presence with singing. <laughs> we know the Lord, that he is God, and it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. In the the sheep of his pasture. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. We're thankful and we bless his name for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. God's presence is with us, like we said, all the time. But something about singing, something about thanksgiving, something about praise opens up your soul to the awareness and revelation of God's presence. When be a person of praise and thanksgiving, come into his gates, come into his courts, come and see what God is doing. When we give thanks, when we praise, our eyes are open to what God is doing. There's a psychologist named, uh, Sean Acor, a psychologist at Harvard who suggests that we can train our brain to become more grateful by setting aside just five minutes a day for practicing gratitude. He cites a one-week study about this. Actually, the study was longer than that, in which people were asked to take five minutes a day, the same time every day, to write down three things they're thankful for. It could be something as simple as, I really liked, I'm really thankful I had that Thai food last night. Or, I'm really thankful my daughter woke up and gave me a good hug this morning. Or, my boss said something kind to me today something as simple as that. Here's what they discovered. At the end of one month, um, including those who stopped the exercise after one week, at the end of one month, whoever practices gratitude was happier and less depressed. After three months, those who had been part of that one week experiment were still more joyful and content. And then after six months, they were still happier, less anxious and less depressed. The researchers hypothesized that the simple practice of writing down three thanksgivings a day primed their minds to search for good in their lives. Wow, God is good. So if I wanna see what God is doing, thankfulness might open up. What God is doing. This reminds me of Colossians four two. Pray diligently. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. We need to do this this week. Pray diligently. Stay alert. Eyes wide open in gratitude for what God is doing because God. Has been in working throughout the centuries has been faithful in all generations why would God stop now rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice let your gentleness, gentleness oh my goodness guys honestly true confessions I woke up really angry at someone this morning not in my house which is good <laughs> Woke up really angry and I was just like, God, sort me out, sort me out, sort me out. Let my gentleness be known. The Lord is at work, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What happens when we enter into Thanksgiving, when we enter into worship, we're anchored, and the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. I'm not gonna talk a lot about listening right now. We're gonna talk about it more later, but listening. If we wanna hear God, we gotta listen. We gotta make space in our life for stillness and quiet, for hearing when we stop talking and we hear. Um, starting this Thursday, we're going to open up again for space for stillness and silence. Usually, there are only, at the most, five of us here. So we can spread out all the way over there, all the way over there, all the way. And we're going to come, and we're going to have that oil in our lamps burning in this, in this building, where those of us who can are going to come, and we're going to sit, and we're going to listen and make space for God to speak to us in, in, in our quietness. There was a a desert father in the fourth century who said, I have shown you, behold, my beloved, I have shown you the power of silence, how thoroughly it heals and how fully pleasing it is to God. It is by silence that the saints grew. It was because of silence that the power of God dwelt in them, because of silence that the mysteries of God were known to them. There's a place for praise, thanksgiving, and listening where we can experience God's presence. Gonna tell a story, during World War II, there was all sorts sorts of production, right? With, for all the artillery and aircraft we needed and ships we needed during World War II, right? And so all of our metal, iron, copper, brass, all of our metal had to go straight to the US government. Any non-essential metal um, was halt, use of metal was halted by the American government and um, even musical instruments and factories were shut down because they didn't have access to metal. Piano makers Steinway and Sons were also affected by these restrictions, but they pivoted. Instead of shutting down, they decided to bide their time by supporting the war effort and turning their factory into supporting the US military. Their patience paid off and was rewarded when the US military granted them a contract to make heavy duty military pianos. Did you all know that? (laughs) By June 1942, Steinway's workers had designed a small upright piano, no more than 40 inches wide and weighing only 455 pounds. It was light enough to be carried by four soldiers. Each piano was treated with anti-termite and special glue so the dampness wouldn't corrode it anti, um, just all sorts of stuff. They were painted green and it used only 33 pounds of metal, about a 10th of what the typical grand piano used. That's amazing, isn't it? These pianos were known as the victory verticals. What a cool name. They were packed into crates and conveniently dropped by parachutes along with tuning equipment and and, um, instructions. An estimated 2,500 were sent throughout the front. What the US government had realized is that an invaluable way to keep everyone calm in the face of the horrors of war, a way to bring healing in the things that they were seeing, a way to soothe homesickness, was to bring music onto the front. These pianos provided the soldiers with countless hours of diversion, education, you know they were singing big band, entertainment, but also worship, enrichment, and outreach. Soldiers would write home about the green pianos just arriving, victory vertical. If the US military knew their people needed the power of music and song to carry them through the days ahead, how much more should we recognize our need for praise, thanksgiving, and worship in times like these? And remember, it's not just song or music, it's dialogue into the very presence of God, the creator of the universe who wants to know and speak to you. Psalm 89 says, Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. They exalt in your righteousness. You are their glorious strength. It pleases you to make us strong. Yes, our protection comes from the Lord, and He, the Holy One of Israel, has given us our King. Could you all stand with me? We're going to close, and uh, while we we stand to pray, uh, just want to remind you if you'd like prayer afterwards. There's prayer over here. There um there's prayer with teams. If you stay online, there will be a number you can call for prayer. Uh, just remind you our our governors asking us to be extra cautious. It's beautiful outside. Let's take our conversations outside you know, uh, just to honor what our health officials and our governor has asked us to do. But I just want to pray and bless us, and then we're going to sing a song. So you can leave as you feel um, led, but I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing the blessing over you as we go into this week. Father God, these are extraordinary times. And we need manna from heaven. We need the blood and bread of Jesus. We need the bread from heaven to sustain us in these times. I just pray for our land as we go into this election week, as we all bring different feelings and concerns and hopes into this week. I ask God that you do a mighty work this week. That You bring healing to our nation. That you bring rest and peace. Somehow bring reconciliation. Somehow bring um, unity. We just rebuke violence. We rebuke bloodshed. We rebuke um, rage. We rebuke anger, rage, and violence. God, forgive me. I woke up angry this morning. Forgive me. We just ask for our land that you'd have mercy, God. Have mercy on us. Bring healing, wipe away this plague. Bring healing, bring the breath of life into our land. Help us walk humbly this week as your believers. Help us walk in the love of God with self-control and gentleness. Let our gentleness be evident to all. Let us come to you. We don't want to come to you with anxiety and fear, though we bring it to you, God. we cast all our cares upon you, but let us come with a song of thanksgiving and praise this week. And let us have vertical victory. (laughs) A vertical victory this week. And i bless this church family. What a beauty and joy it was to celebrate 37 years declaring the goodness of God in this land. God, how amazing that you've given us the privilege and we know our days are numbered. We know, we, we know that we don't define our future, but we're thankful for every moment. We're thankful for every moment and we pray that we get to continue on declaring your praise and declaring your goodness in this land. Let us keep the candle burning. Let us keep the oil burning in this place that then your name would be exalted. Okay, I'm going into intercession mode. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> I could pray and pray and pray but we'll just leave with a blessing just let the blessing of our worship leaders just soak over us thank you for singing it over us sing it over one another look to your right and left and sing it over one another sing it in your home to whoever's in your home If you're in the car singing over the person on your right, singing over the person on the left at the stoplight, wherever you are, bless.